1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks are looking to extend Friday's gains after doing something for the first time in nearly a month. By the way, stock futures are higher this morning. Easing off the accelerator just a bit. New signals this morning that the Fed may hold off on a one percentage point interest rate hike at its next meeting this month. So what's changed? Elon Musk firing back at Twitter with a lawsuit of his own, pushing back on the social media's request for a speedy trial, plus big headlines for big oil after Friday's Biden-Saudi sit down in the ongoing energy crisis that's crushing Europe. And then later on, It's not over for the big banks as investors await results from Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and many more. It is Monday, July 18, 2022, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and where your money stands right now at 5.01 a.m. Eastern Time. You can see the Dow Jones is implied higher by roughly 307 points. The S&P higher by 42 in the Nasdaq, up by about 161. Solid green across the major indices so far. This is all after the Dow and the S&P 500 snapped their five-session losing streaks on Friday. With their best single session since June of twenty june twenty fourth, though the markets did end the overall week lower, If you check on the bond market, arguably where a lot of this kind of catalyst is coming from right now, we're seeing a tick higher in yields. The benchmark treasury note yield 10-year is about 2.95%. So we're still inverted, meaning that two-year note yield sits above it. It's currently just about 3.15%. The 30-year long bond, 3.11%, the last trade there. In the oil market, a key focus given what's happening with Europe and Russia, Ukraine, and everything else. You've got U.S. benchmark WTI crude, $99.44. That's up about nearly two percent. ICE Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, up about two, just about two dollars and twenty cents, one hundred and three dollars and thirty-six cents, two percent gains there. And Nat gas prices up roughly two and a half percent, seven dollars and seventeen cents. The last trade there. RBOB gasoline, a key measure for futures, coming down in its sixth down week in a row right now. You can see overall those trades are playing out some too. Now gold metal. Contra, the, the, the precious metals, we've had gold hitting its lowest level since August of 2021. Right now, those prices, by the way, are up three quarters of 1%, 17, 17, spot 20, the last trade there. Look at silver, platinum, palladium, some of those platinum group metals and all of those. Platinum, by the way, coming off its work suite since March of 2020. And in cryptocurrencies, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether also at least holding on or trying to to key levels and then trading above right now you've got bitcoin prices 22,314 we've been eyeing that 20,000 level for quite some time six percent gains for bitcoin ether prices up nearly ten percent one thousand four hundred and seventy eight dollars the last trade there as well let's now get a check on the overseas action in europe jumana Versace is in our london newsroom with the latest there good morning jumana
0: Good morning, Dom. Well, green is the theme today. We have uh, all of these indices uh, opening up the week in positive territory, broad-based gains. A lot of these cyclicals are performing well today. It's a very big week for Europe. Remember, we've got the ECB meeting to, uh, to watch out for on Thursday. They're expected to hike rates for the first time in 11 years. So uh, a big market-moving event coming up on Thursday. Uh, we also have a very big day on Wednesday with the Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi addressing Parliament. Remember, last week, Italian politics came to the fore again. Lots of questions about whether or not Prime Minister Draghi actually decides to stay on as Prime Minister. But this is a picture for the Italian index today, up 1.2 percentage point. Germany and France, up about 1.5 percentage points, And then the FTSE in the UK, up 1.4. We're seeing a good rebound in commodities and basic resources. So let's just switch and take a good look at sectors. And you can see every single sector in Europe today is trading in positive territory. The relative defensive stocks, utilities and telcos trading uh, at the bottom, but it's still up about half a percentage point. But up at the top, as I mentioned basic resources 3.4 percentage point this despite china's miss on gdp on friday and then oil and gas also as you were just talking about a very strong day in that sector and that's boosting some of the oil stocks in the space as well and then finally quick look at european banks up 2.4 percentage points but again a lot of the direction from here is going to be dependent on what the ecb decide to announce on thursday so it's going to be a big one for us dom back to you
2: Jumana, green like your dress and green like my pocket square. Thank you very much. We will see you later on. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories. Contessa Brewer is here with those. Good morning, Contessa.
3: Dom, good to see you. Australia and New Zealand Banking Group is buying insurer Suncorp's banking business for $3.3 billion. That deal will boost the bank's retail footprint and increase its assets in mortgages. And you can see there, the sun group is just slightly in the negative. Macau has kicked off an 11th round of COVID-19 testing for residents today. And the world's biggest gambling hub just extended a lockdown of casinos and other businesses, non-essential ones, in its fight in its worst outbreak since the pandemic began. Despite a steady fall in infections that saw just 27 new cases reported Sunday, authorities say the city's more than 600,000 residents must stay home with all non-essential businesses shut until Friday. By the way, Bernstein just put out a note estimating July uh, gaming revenues for Macau at 2% of what 2019 revenues were. You can see, though, the uh, stocks in real time, the the Chinese and the Macau stocks uh, holding up well. The world's biggest EV battery maker, contemporary Amperex technology out of China, reportedly is considering at least two locations in Mexico near the Texas border for a new manufacturing plant. The new plant could potentially supply automakers, Tesla and Ford. According to Blue...
2: Okay, I think we just lost Contessa here. We'll see if we can get her back at some point now. Uh, thank you very much, though, Contessa, for that. Back to the markets overall. Your money and growing the growing consensus, rather, that this morning for the Fed may, holding, may hold off on its kind of shifting its rate cycle into high gear, potentially balking at a one full percentage point or 100 basis point hike when it comes to meet next week and opt for another 75 basis point boost possibly instead. Now, from the Wall Street Journal's new Fed whisperer, whisperer Nick Timmeros here. Pol- Policymakers are now leaning against full point increase despite June inflation surge and are likely to raise interest rates by three quarters of a percentage point later on this month for the second straight meeting. That's the headline coming out of the Wall Street Journal. And a new Sunday note from Goldman Sachs. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index softening of inflation expectations is, quote, one reason why we expect the FOMC will not accelerate the near term hiking pace and will deliver a 75 basis point hike at the July FOMC meeting. That's those are their words there from the economist team over there and Ronnie Walker. So let's talk more about this with Ben Emmons, managing director of global macro strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, it's always great to chat with you and get your insights here. So let's talk about the changing narrative. And it changed very quickly about a full percentage point hike. And now we're back to the baseline 75 basis point. In your mind, what's the appropriate path? Good
4: morning, Dom. Yeah, that 75 basis point seemed to be quite locked. And, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, right? We actually had speculation about 100 basis points right after the CPI last week, because it was so you know, bad. It was just not a good number at all, but it's about expectations. So the Michigan survey shows the FED's message is getting through to certain groups of consumers. And that is changing, I think, the long-term expectations. Same thing for the New York FED survey showed long-term expectations are declining. I think that gives the FED at least comfort that they don't have to slam the brakes by 100 base points and can do the 75 base points, which in Waller's, Governor Waller's uh, view, that's huge, as he said. So it is a big rate hike. So I think we'll lock for 75. What really matters is what happens in September, and how restrictive Fed policy becomes. The market seems to be saying something like three, three and a half percent of the Fed funds rate by the fall. That seems right. But the data is also very important to watch because we are in a slowdown. So it all may change as we come fall.
2: So, I mean, the the timing is pretty good here. And and what I mean by that is you have a meeting this month and then you've got a break right in, in August and then you come back for another meeting in September. Does that in your mind, timing wise, give the Fed a little bit more cushion with regard to evaluating that data? Because they are, of course, data dependent. And what exactly would they need to see for that next step if it's still going to be 75 basis points or maybe
4: less? Is there a possibility it could be less? Yeah, so far what we've gotten is the indication that S 75 was delivered, it was this message more about 50 or 75 for July, which I think in the market's mind also means 50 or 75 in September. I know what's key, Dom, is that the data itself is not just confidence data or growth data, but it's really that the next CPI report does show a first step to slow down. And I think the commodity prices declining over the last period will affect that CPI report in August. And that will be, indeed, a somewhat of a breathing room to say we don't have to continue on 75 basis points, which Powell has said it's not something they want to make as a common rate hike. So the Fed has some time here to evaluate data that we had just over the last week was not strong enough to go for 100 basis points. So I think we stay on this track from 75 downshifting to 50 by September and then making policy restrictive. And then they will reassess how much of an impact that truly has on the economy and inflation. All right. Speaking of economy,
2: inflation and everything else, we kind of have an idea, at least maybe an inkling, although it's very confusing right now, about the inflation picture here in America. I wonder what this story is like economically from the emerging market perspective, given what we've seen with the dollar value, the U.S. dollar and its value versus just about everybody else out there. Is that dollar story not being played out enough right now? Are we not talking about it enough? Is it going to be a significant driver of not just what's happening here in the U.S. with our relative purchasing power, but also what's going to happen with the emerging markets and the strength of their currencies and economies?
4: Yeah, I think it's a major story, Dom. I think we're, we're just seeing the effects from a strong dollar coming through and over the weekend with the IMF World Bank meetings. It's now come, becoming a topic of discussion among policymakers. You know, to one extent, the dollar can strengthen, but if it gets too excessive, it puts a lot of pressure on emerging markets. They've borrowed in dollars, they have current account imbalances, and so that strain on the financial system globally as the dollar gets even stronger is really something that will also, the Fed will keep in mind, by the way. They're not, I think, oblivious to a strong dollar, but at this point, the strength of the dollar has some dividends. We're seeing it playing out in the commodity market, that aside from supply-demand dynamics, the dollar does have an impact there. And secondly, it's about basically a economy that's not yet in a recession, a U.S. economy is, is, I think, not sliding right now in a recession. So that strong dollar about Fed policy and U.S. economy too at least gives to the market some comfort that we're not immediately in a major contraction. All right. Ben Emmons with the macro big picture there. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you.
2: When we come back on the show, much more on these markets and what investors can expect from the likes of Bank of America and Goldman Sachs when they report their results before the market opened this morning. KBW's David Conrad is here with his top sector picks in financials as earnings season rolls on. Plus, Elon Musk not going down without a fight when it comes to his terminated Twitter takeover deal. But first, we are live from the Farmborough International Air Show with first on and exclusive interviews all day long from our own Phil LeBeau sitting in front of planes. He's got something special for us coming up next, Phil.
1: Dom, I'm cooking in front of planes. It's got a a top 100 here today in uh, the UK. We're going to be talking with Greg Hayes, CEO of Raytheon Technologies. That interview is coming up next. You do not want to miss what he has to say about the aviation market, the commercial market, inflation. A lot of issues to discuss with Greg. That's next on Worldwide Exchange.
2: Back to Worldwide Exchange check on the markets right now. The Dow Jones is implied higher by roughly 285 points. The S&P higher by 40 and the Nasdaq higher by 150. Trying to build on Friday's solid gains, even though it was a losing week overall. So we'll keep an eye on that positive screen so far for futures. So welcome back to the show. For the first time in four years, aviation and defense industry leaders are meeting in the United Kingdom at the Farnborough Air Show. And despite recession fears, ongoing China lockdowns and new stricter emission standards, expectations are high for travel demand later in the decade and beyond. This is now where we find our own Phil Lebeau, like I said, sitting in front of planes with a big interview. Phil, I'll send it over to you.
1: Thank you, Dom. Greg Hayes, CEO of Raytheon, joining us today. We were just talking before we came on. It feels good to be back, doesn't it? It feels three great. Three years to be. since we've seen an air show like this. Incredible. When you look at what the momentum is that's out there, and we're expecting big orders to be announced throughout the day, today, and tomorrow. Uh, are you expecting one of those years like we saw back in 17 or 18, where the airlines are saying we've got to reposition our fleets?
6: Yeah, you know, I don't know that we're going to see the mega orders that we saw three or four years ago. And I'll tell you, the problem is they're sold out. Boeing and Airbus. Again, if you want to get a narrow-body aircraft, you're talking five, six, seven years before you're going to see that. Yeah. So I think again, what the, the narrow-body fleet is pretty well sold out. Maybe we'll see some, uh, some orders for 777s and things like that and 787s, but there's clearly demand out there. Talk
1: about the demand that you're seeing right now, Pratt & Whitney engines. You guys are going as fast as you can in terms of production, but even as fast as you're going, you're noticing the impact of the supply chain, whether it's on the material side, or on the human side in terms of yeah, the labor force. Ex- How challenging is it right now?
6: Oh, it's, it's, it is really difficult, Phil. I tell you, you know, we, we talked earlier in the year about the fact that. <laughs> it's an air show. It's an air show. The sound of freedom. Um, we talked earlier uh, this year about the fact that, you know, Pratt's struggling with castings. Uh, we're, we're struggling with the rocket motors at our missiles division. Uh, but to your point, it is direct labor and it is skilled labor that is the hardest thing to get right now. And while 3.6% unemployment looks great, there's 11 million job openings in the U.S., and that means you know there's a lot of things that we can't get done because we can't get the people. What you are talking about is what we're hearing from other
1: executives here, and it brings up the question, how long does it remain like this? When, When you look out, do you expect that it's going to be closer to a more normal environment for production? Uh, across the board, or are you saying hey, it's going to be well into 23, 24?
6: It's, it is going. My, my own view. I think we're not going to see the end of the supply change and the people challenges this year. I think again, it's probably the end of 23 and going into 24. It just it takes time to develop the skills, to hire the people, train them up, and it just doesn't happen overnight. Airlines have long been finding or looking
1: for the cheapest option when it comes to dealing with fuel prices. Nobody can control where they're at. But for, let's say, Pratt and Whitney, how much is the thirst for driving down those costs, greater fuel efficiency, driving demand right now?
6: Well, that's really what's driving the demand for the A320neo, right? It's the Pratt-geared turbofan. Yep. We introduced that back in 2015. It took about reduced uh, noise 75%, emissions 50%, and fuel burn by 16%. We've got our next generation coming out in another two years, the Advantage engine, take another 1% of fuel burn. That's what we're going to see, though. Airlines are going to have to migrate to these more fuel-efficient aircraft sooner rather than later, and that is really what's driving demand for both Boeing and Airbus. side gets so much attention here, but defense is a big part of this
1: show, as it is when it's at Paris as well. What are you noticing in terms of the posture from countries, customers who are saying, "I need to be better positioned"? given the events in the world right now?
6: Yeah, look, uh, what's happened in Ukraine has been awful from a humanitarian standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint, and it has changed the dynamic in the defense industry completely. A year and a half ago, NATO was in disarray. Today, NATO is united. And I think about what Raytheon Technologies, and I I I say this all the time, our mission is to defend democracy around the world. We've got great products that the warfighter needs today and what they're going to need tomorrow.
1: Real quick, I want to get your thoughts on interest rates. Uh, are they moving up fast enough to slow down the inflation that's out there? I know nobody wants higher interest rates, but you were saying earlier inflation is just so red-hot.
6: So, look, we, we see inflation, right, 9% uh, last month, year over year. Uh, we see it in our supply chain. We see it in commodities. We see it in labor. We have to do something to slow down the economy, and that means higher rates. Now, is it going to be the 1980s all over again with Volcker? I don't think we have to go to 17%, but it's not going to stop at 2 or 2.5%. Two Greg Hayes, CEO of Raytheon. Phil, great to see you, sir. Good to be back. It's good to be back.
1: Guys, we're going to be here all day long. He's going to have a lot of orders and and other news to announce, as will the big players for Boeing, Airbus. We'll have all
2: of that coming up a little bit later on. Dom, back to you. All right. Greg Hayes at Raytheon. Thank you very much. And, of course, our own Phil LeBeau as well. Thank you for that. Enjoy the air show. Still on deck for the show, the major energy market risks. My next guest says could push crude to $200 a barrel. That's a shocking number. We'll have that story when Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's show you what's happening right now in the dynamic with regard to why the market may be trying to find a bottom at this level, because as we stand right now, the S&P 500 just about from the highs that we've seen over the course of the last year is now down roughly 20 percent from those levels. So still hovering around that so-called bear market territory that some traders like to look at in terms of a 20 percent decline from recent highs. If you look within that trade, technology has been a big part of that story with regard to where people are looking for some of those bigger bounces. I will point out that over the course of the last few days here, we've seen some decent relative strength on a shorter term basis in semiconductor computer chip stocks. The Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF is up nearly 2% in the pre-market right now. We're going to try to see if we can build on a three day winning streak for that particular part of the market in technology. It's seen by some traders and investors as one of those leading indicators of that overall tech trade. So something to keep a close eye on that relative strength now. The reason why I pointed out is because if you look at other parts of technology, say cloud computing or software overall we 'll do it through the lens of etfs that Vanek vector semiconductor ETF on a one year basis again down about eleven percent but cloud computing is down about forty two percent and the tech software ETF is down about thirty percent so Vanek vector semiconductor ETF has been holding up relatively well and over the last week or so has been outperforming by a pretty wide amount over those cloud computing and software stocks. So watch that relative strength trade play out. We'll see if semiconductors can tell us maybe anything about what the trend for overall technology is going to be. So let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines now. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good Monday morning, Philip.
8: Hi, Dom. Good morning. We have breaking news overnight out of Indiana where police are investigating a mass shooting at Greenwood Park Mall near Indianapolis. Authorities say a total of six people were shot after a lone gunman allegedly started firing in the food court. Four people were killed. The two people injured include a 12-year-old girl. Authorities say a 22-year-old Good Samaritan shot and killed the gunman. A scathing new report on the police response to the Uvalde, Texas, school shooting, where 19 students and two teachers were tragically killed. The results of the preliminary investigation released by the Texas State House of Representatives found, quote, systemic failures and egregious, poor decision-making by all agencies responding to the massacre. The report also found officers failed to prioritize saving the lives of innocent victims over their own safety. Right now, Europe is gripped by a deadly heat wave that promises to get worse before it gets better. It's especially bad in the south part of the continent, with France, Spain, Portugal, Greece, and Italy all suffering devastating wildfires. On top of that, the United Kingdom is bracing for record-breaking temperatures this week. Finally, it was a historic day at St. Andrews at the Open Championship. Cameron Smith started the final round four strokes out of first, but the Australian carved up the course to set up a monster comeback. Smith shot an eight under 64 in the final round, pulling past Rory McIlroy and winning the Open and his first major championship. Smith finished 20 below par for the tournament, That is tied for a record score at a major. That's it from here, Dom. We'll send it back to you.
2: I can't believe it, Philip. I watched parts of all four rounds for this Open, and it was just amazing seeing the level of play there. But Cameron Smith, for all the golfers out there, I don't know if you can put on a better putting exhibition than he did. I don't know, Philip, if you saw any of that last round.
8: I didn't. I knew that Rory was ahead and hadn't won in eight years, and I thought he was going to pull away. But, yeah, Cameron Smith, he, you know, tied a record. No one's ever
2: done it better. It's a great time for young golf right now. Thank you very much, Philip, man. I appreciate it. Straight ahead on the show, despite a rough first half for 2022, top WEX stock picker David Katz is here with the bull case for one beaten down name that could help your bottom line in the months ahead. That mystery chart revealed coming up later on in the show. We'll be right back after this. Futures popping as odds for a full percentage point rate hike by Jay Powell and company fall further out of favor. Investors bracing for a new wave of big bank results after a mixed bag last week. The names KBW says are a buy ahead of the tape. And sifting through the Biden-Saudi summit tea leaves. And investors now look to Russia's European pipeline power play and what it could mean for global energy markets and beyond Monday, July 18th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. It's right around 5.32 a.m. Eastern time here on the East Coast. And here's how the markets and your money are looking. At this particular point in time, right now, the Dow futures are indicated higher by roughly 268 points. It's been a little bit of a slowdown in momentum, but not much. It's still green, solidly so. The S&P 500 up by 37 points implied at the opening bell, and the Nasdaq up by about 143. So very solid moves anticipated, at least for now, in the stock market, trying to build on Friday's gains. All of this amid growing consensus on the street that the Federal Reserve will bulk at a one full percentage point rate hike at its policy meeting next week. In a note from Goldman Sachs late yesterday, a pullback in inflation expectations is reducing the impetus for a 100 basis point hike. And then from The Wall Street Journal reporter, Fed whisperer Nick Timmeros, quote, policymakers are leaning against full point increases despite June inflation surge. So a little commentary with regard to the Fed may be easing back on some of that interest rate hiking momentum. Keeping the ball rolling with earnings season coming up. Big banks are in focus again this week. Goldman Sachs, Bank of America are reporting before the opening bell today. Investors hoping both banks will follow Citigroup's lead from last week. That bank topping revenue estimates and shares pop better than 13 percent on Friday. Joining me now is David Conrad, Managing Director of Equity Research at KBW, which is a Stifel company. David, I wonder if you look at that City result It was the only one of the major banks that reported results that actually topped revenue expectations. What exactly was it about the investor attitude towards that revenue beat that really sent Citi shares propelling?
9: Well, it was a surprising beat from Citi. It was largely driven by its its trade and treasury solutions business uh, that is unique on the street. That's part of the global franchise that, that moves money around the world. Um, but also is a very low bar for Citi. It's, it's a longer term restructuring story. And investor positioning certainly had a big impact on the rally on Friday.
2: So what exactly would have to happen, say, with results out of Bank of America uh, and or Goldman Sachs today? You, you could argue that both of those banks might have a bigger influence on the overall financial sector sentiment or that bank sector trade. What exactly would need to happen for either of those results to get the same kind of reaction that we saw in investor enthusiasm for Citi?
9: I think I think that'll be a little bit challenging um, for for today because of the investor sentiment going in. I think, you know, Bank of America is a very popular name. Um, what we look for Bank of America, we think we'll have solid results. What we've seen so far, if you look at like JP Morgan's results, uh, the Chase business was very strong. Um, but yet the, uh, the investment banking business was weak. We think that's what we'll see today, stronger performance out of Bank America, but Goldman will have its challenges as investment banking is largely in a recession right now.
2: Okay, if you look at the way that this kind of overall season is shaping up right now, even with the results on City last week, Wells Fargo kind of reported around that same time period, and theirs was more of a mixed picture, yet we saw a nice kind of, Trade developing there as well. A nice bullish move for that stock, despite some of the more mixed commentary there. Is it an indication in your mind, perhaps, David, that this financials trade might actually have some momentum going forward after being talked about for such a long time?
9: Yeah, I think they've been oversold right here. I mean, if you look at the super regional banks, they're trading around 52 percent of the S&P. That's about a 20 percent discount to historical averages. And so what we've seen is really good top-line net interest income growth from that, from that group. And so we think that does kind of uh, performance lead its way through this week. Um, but we're actually more positive on, on more of the regional bank models. We would look at M&T uh, reporting on Wednesday as, as having big, strong results. Also, names like Regions and Fifth Third that have a lot of liquidity on their balance sheet, we think will drive uh, better results and the
2: market will like that. All right. So the regionals over the big money center and investment banks, David Conrad at KBW. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Let's get to some of this morning's other top corporate stories. Contessa Brewer is back with those. Contessa.
3: Good morning, Dom. Good to see you. Elon Musk late Friday filing a lawsuit opposing Twitter's request to expedite a trial. Over the termination of his Twitter takeover, lawmakers or lawyers, rather, for Musk filed documents in the Delaware Chancery Court. It was his first public response to Twitter's suit, calling on the court to reject Twitter's unjustifiable request to rush this. That's what the documents say. Twitter has asked the court to expedite the proceedings, highlighting risks from recent economic downturn and, you know, being held in limbo by a buyer. The company requested a trial by mid-September. You can see Twitter shares off half a percent in the early extended trade. All right. J.M. Smucker says its board of directors has approved a three percent dividend hike to a dollar two a share set to be paid September 1st to shareholders of record on August 12th. The approval represents the 21st consecutive year of dividend growth. Smucker's shares are nearly flat on the year compared to the S&P's. More than 18 percent drop since January. And Apple is asking a federal court to throw out an injunction that would allow developers to bypass Apple's App Store payment system and avert commission fees. Apple calls the injunction legally improper. The request is part of Apple's lawsuit with Epic Games, insisting that Epic lost the initial trial last year because it presented a flawed argument and, quote, unfounded accusations of anti-competitive conduct. We'll keep our eye on that, Dom.
2: All right. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much for those headlines. Oil prices extending gains today with WTI prices and Brent crude up more than 2 percent. A weaker U.S. dollar and tighter supplies are offsetting worries about recession fears and then fresh COVID lockdowns in China that could possibly hit fuel demand. This is all happening as President Biden returns home from the Middle East this weekend. As expected, his trip to Saudi Arabia and the fist bump there, failing to secure a pledge to boost production to help bring down inflation. U.S. Energy Advisor Amos Hochstein telling CBS's Face the Nation the trip would result in oil producers taking, quote unquote, a few more steps in terms of supply. Investor attention now shifting this week to whether Russian gasoline flows and gas flows and NatGas to Europe will resume via that Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Maintenance is scheduled to end on Thursday. Separately, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she had a productive piece of talks or rather talks on a proposed price cap on the Russian oil market at the meeting of the G20 finance minister's. So let's talk about all of this now with Bjorn Sheldrop, Chief Commodities Analyst at SEB. Uh, Bjorn, I, I wonder, we talk so much about the headlines here. We're already starting to see some signs of oil prices at least coming down and maybe demand being impacted. Is that something that has legs or is this just a maybe tiny consolidation phase before a move back higher for oil?
10: I think we need to remember that we do have an overall energy crisis globally. I mean, look at coal prices in Australia. They are trading at $400 per tonne versus normal 80. Natural gas prices in Europe are trading at $275 per barrel of oil equivalent. And, uh, you know, we have more than $200 for natural gas LNG in Asia in dollar per barrel of oil equivalent. So, you know, we're all focused on movements in the crude oil price, which has sold down on recession sphere. <clears throat> but we still have a super tight uh, crude oil market um, with very, very strong backwardation where uh, the price of the September contract versus October contract, it has a premium of more than $4 over the other. And dated Brent is, I mean, the spot the real spot price for, for crude oil is trading at $108 per barrel. So, I mean, it's still super high um, energy prices. And we are focused on oil uh, predominantly, which is the most liquid and visible uh, element of uh, of the energy aspects. So, so Bjorn, I,
2: I mean, I, I wonder when, when the Ukraine-Russia war first kicked off and, and the, the reaction from the international community came out, there was this understanding, right, that, that the energy markets would go higher because of the, the, the immense amount of pressure being put sanctions-wise on Russia. Do you believe as though the Russian energy story for both gasoline, crude oil, nat gas, and everything else is still the kind of linchpin, if you will, to the global energy markets right now? If, that, if, if something doesn't happen with Russia, what exactly then does happen to those energy markets as we approach that all-important winter
10: season? I think it's important to emphasize that Russia is the world's biggest energy or fossil fuel exporter of oil, natural gas, and coal together. I mean, they export normally something like 5 million barrels per day of crude, 3 million barrels per day of refined products, and then 4 million barrels of oil equivalents for natural gas plus coal. I mean, so this is the elephant in the world in terms of energy exports or fossil energy exports. So, When you tamper with these exports, you know, you have an earthquake in the energy market as a consequence.
2: Bjorn, let's kind of let's let's kind of bottom line this. How bad could nat gas prices and crude oil prices get if something doesn't really happen with regard to Russia
10: and Ukraine? I mean, something has already happened and we have a severe reduction in exports of natural gas from Russia to Europe of more than a reduction of more than two million barrels per day of oil equivalents versus normal three so we've lost like 66 percent of natural gas exports from russia to europe uh, and you know when this gas doesn't go to europe it goes nowhere and um, it's not possible to reroute it to the rest of the world so that basically means a massive reduction in energy supply to the world as it the flow stops to europe europe uh, then move into the global market and buys as much natural gas on LNG and coal as it can to compensate, thereby creating a very, very tight global market for fossil fuels altogether, of which oil is just one of the permanent elements. Uh, But, uh, you know, know, Russia is today in a proxy war with Europe and the U.S., and Russia, Putin, is not going to let uh, Europe and the U.S. easily off the hook in this respect. Russia has... The, the, the upper hand in this, because they are the biggest exporter in the world and, and they have the resources to export it or not. And they can decide to hold back if they want to, creating massive amount of pain uh, to Europe and the U.S. consumers.
2: All right, a massive amount of pain may be coming up. Bjorn drop. thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Coming up on the show, Texas, Utah, and Oklahoma in the throes of a massive heat wave with temperatures expected to remain in the 100s for the next several days. The extreme weather conditions driving home the link between climate change and the stress on basic necessities like food and electricity, maybe even natural gas. But the implications go beyond just the human toll, as everything from agriculture to utilities struggle to keep systems running smoothly. We've got that full story coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A major heat wave is rocking the American Southwest and beyond, and now investors are starting to take note. Christina Partsinevelis joins us now with that big story. Christina.
11: Well, Dom, you have this week parts of Texas, Kansas, and Oklahoma that could see their hottest or highest summer temperatures to date, with predicted highs reaching anywhere between 102 to 110 degrees. The extreme weather overloading electricity grids, all while putting a strain on human lives. Natural gas is a main energy source to power electricity in Texas and elsewhere, and prices are soaring nearly 26% just in the past two weeks alone. And that's why the state-run power grid in Texas Texas, ERCOT, has asked consumers to conserve power twice just last week alone. So the heat is driving up electricity prices, but blackouts and inefficiencies weigh on firms like NRG Energy, based in Texas, Enter, Entergy, which is uh, has power production in the Deep South, and then Exelon. All of these stocks you can see on your screen, negative month to day. And hot and aging, the U.S. Department of Energy found that 70% of U.S. transition or transmission lines are more than 25 years old. And that stat was from the most recent review held back in 2015. I couldn't find anything earlier. And lines typically have a 50-year lifespan, so you can understand how, how old a lot of these systems are. And then you may be wondering at home, what about solar and wind, you ask?
9: Even though we've brought on a lot of new capacity in the form of wind and solar, that's not always always the most reliable uh, source of energy because um, you're really reliant upon the weather. And if the weather's not perfect, then you're going to lose out on some of that extra capacity.
11: But solar power is still filling up a record share of power generation in Texas, and yet many companies have been under pressure lately on U.S. solar policies and a slowing housing market. Take, for example, SunPower on your screen, down 22% in the last three months alone. The iShares Global Clean Energy ETF had its worst week last week since March 2021, down about 5% just since last Monday. So it's a balancing act between natural gas, wind and coal for utility firms and dangerous heat levels are testing power grids, Dom, like never before.
2: All right. So, Christina, I mean, so let's kind of thread the needle a little bit between that wind and maybe even the crypto mining side of things. I only bring it up because we've talked about a lot in the past how much energy it takes to mine some of these crypto projects. Is there an issue there that needs to be dealt with?
11: Well, there are almost like two separate issues. The fact that crypto miners, they have industrial crypto miners in Texas, a lot of them over there because electricity is cheaper. They've already been asked to shut down or to really conserve energy. That's created a drop in mining. That's affected GPU prices, which are the graphic cards. So that's one problem. And then the other problem is the wind. There is, because the heat is so heavy, there's been a lack of wind. So unfortunately, these power grids are unable to rely on wind, which is a resource for them. And then the same thing, with solar. You have so much the heat, some of the products uh, expanding. You need the manpower to go out there and fix some of these solar panels. So unfortunately, it's not always reliable, despite having other alternative resources to natural gas.
2: All right. Christina Partzinepolis with that big story on the heat wave in America right now. Thank you. On deck for the show, stock picking with Matrix's David Katz to the beaten down names on his shopping list that might turn the corner in the second half of 2022. That story when we come back. All right. Welcome back. What you're seeing there is a very busy week ahead for traders and investors as earnings season really kicks into high gear. You've got earnings reports from all the big ones. We mentioned Goldman Sachs and B of A today. Also, IBM later on today. It's Johnson & Johnson, Netflix, Halliburton, Lockheed tomorrow. Wednesday is Tesla and United Airlines. Thursday is AT&T, Travelers and American. And then Friday, you've got American Express, Verizon and Twitter That should be an interesting one. So a very busy week ahead. So now to the trading day amidst all of that framing. You've got futures poised for some solid gains at the opening bell. The Dow is implied higher by 245 points. David Katz is the chief investment officer at Matrix Asset Advisors. Uh, David, I wonder, did you feel better about what you saw at the end of the week last week on Friday? Does that make you feel as though you want to put a shopping list to work?
12: Well, Friday was a a nice indication because you had earnings season start off with the banks, and banks generally were okay to mix, but the market looked through the negatives and really focused on the positives, so you had a lot of banks rally. So the hope is that earnings season isn't going to be blockbuster, but rather the market is going to take it in stride and look toward the next 6 to 12 months. If that's the case, we're feeling pretty good about stocks, so we would be buying any sort of weakness. We wouldn't chase days like today. But we do think a year from now, stocks are going to be significantly higher. Now's a good time to start to look at playing offense rather than defense.
2: All right. So if it's offense rather than defense, where is the offense that you want to play? And are those offensive parts of the market that you want to buy into contingent upon Fed policy?
12: Well, we think inflation is definitely starting to break. The Fed is not going to talk about changing their policy or being less hawkish like next year yet. But we're seeing commodity prices come down. We're seeing labor uh, wage inflation come down. Real estate prices are slowing. You're going to see Walmart and Target discounting because they've got this excess inventory in apparel and home goods. So we think inflation is going to start to go lower. That's going to allow the Fed to be less hawkish next year. That's pretty bullish for stocks. And you want to buy stocks six months in advance to really starting to see those numbers turn. We think that's time is about now.
0: All
2: right. So that six to 12 month time frame that you're talking about lends itself to what kind of trade. Is it technology and media and communication services or are you going to stick with kind of what's been working ish? And I say ish because energy was great for the last 12 months, except for the last maybe three
12: so we're expecting rotation. So things like consumer staples, which have done exceptionally well, probably is a source of funds. We'd be putting money into financials, technology, communication services that you just mentioned, some tele- some select med technology type companies. Uh, what you want to look at is companies that have good long term growth and earnings trajectories but are selling under 15 times earnings. And they're really a lot of those type of companies. So if you can take that longer term perspective, you're able to buy great businesses, very attractive prices. Historically, that's been a formula for success.
2: So, David, that begs the question. You open the door. What's on the shopping list? What types of stocks are you looking at?
12: So some fall in growth companies. We like bookings right now. They are a reopening play. The company is down with the NASDAQ. Uh, sell off very significantly. The stock sells at about 14 times next year's earnings. Air Products is a very good industrial. It also is a green energy play. You're getting that at a pretty attractive price with almost a 3% yield. FedEx had a very good earnings update uh about a week or two ago the stock selling at under 10 times earnings you have new management who's focused on profitability and improving margins medtronic is a medtech company sells at about 14 or 15 times earnings also with a three percent yield so if you look at those companies these are really good businesses good outlooks at very attractive prices last we like the banks a lot right here so Truist or u.s bank Corp, uh, very good company four, uh four percent yield under 10 times earnings
2: All right, so a good little shopping list there from David Katz. Thank you very much. Have a great day, sir. You as well. Thanks a lot. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Check out the futures market right now because it's pointed to some solid gains at the opening bell. The Dow is implied higher by 250 points, the S&P higher by 35, and the Nasdaq higher by 141. We'll see if those gains from Friday can be built on. Keep it right here as Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can
1: always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
7: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.